With that said, today we're beginning a new series for the summer, and it's a series entitled, This Verse Changed My Life. Now, during this series, you're going to hear from various different voices as they share verses that changed their life in one way or another. Here's what I hope is going to happen over the next few weeks that you're going to find in this variety that it'll be refreshing as you hear from different people. Some have heard of what we're going to do over June and July, and some have asked the question, well, is Brother Scott taking off during the summer? Right? They've asked that question. The answer to that is absolutely not. I'm not. I, I will be having a vacation here in a couple of weeks that I, I am excited about. However, uh, during this time when other people are speaking through the months of June and July, it's going to give me some added time as long as with the staff to do some planning for the future. I know for me, for the last five months, it's been like I've been on a long sprint. There's been no downtime to look at the future, consider where God wants us to go as a church. And so as I have some weeks during these months where I'll not be preparing a sermon each week, it's going to give me that time to do some planning and preparation and give some attention to some areas that need a little extra of my time. And so what I'm going to ask for you to do over the next several weeks is I want you to be in prayer for me, be in prayer for the staff, be in prayer for everyone who comes and preaches during these weeks because here's what I believe that you'll see. I believe that you'll see these next few weeks will be both a benefit to the staff and to the church, all right? And so keep us all uplifted in your prayer and be excited because I'm really excited about these verses that have changed people's life. Now, with that said, let's get to the verse that changed my life. In fact, I really could point to many verses. There's not just one verse that's changed my life. I've had many, but this is the one that God's laid up on my heart to share with you today. And so what I want you to do, take out your Bibles, and I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Now, this is a verse that I became familiar with way back in high school. When I was in high school, I was a part of FCA because if you don't know what that is, that's Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, I was an athlete, believe it or not. Some of you say, no way, right? I was. Uh, and also, I was a Christian who was seeking to love God and to serve Him with my life. I look back now on my high school years, and I really wish I had loved Him more back then. But to the best of my ability at that time, I was trying to serve the Lord. One year, this verse was our theme verse or focal verse, whatever you want to call it. It was our theme verse for FCA chapter that year. It was the verse that we put on our shirts, among other things, we wanted everybody to see, Philippians 4.13. Now, my guess is many of you are familiar with this verse, but if you're not familiar with it, let me just read it to you, and we're going to look at why it's such an important verse. The verse is, is, it goes like this. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, all right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that's from the ESV that I normally read from. Let me read it to you from the New King James, which is closer to what we had when I was in high school. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, though the word Christ is not in the original language, the King James verse uses that title for Jesus rather than simply saying him so that it is explicit who the him is that gives you strength. The meaning of the verse doesn't change, it just gives us clarity. Now, if you look at that verse, it should be obvious why that verse was so popular to me as a high school athlete and other high school athletes. Can you guess why it was so popular? Can you guess why? All right, think about it. When an athlete reads a verse that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, what do you think comes to mind? 
Winning, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, okay. A high school athlete has all kinds of things come to mind. You begin to think, yes, we can win the state championship. We can do it through him who gives us strength. Well, let me back up. I went to East Harden High School. We can have a winning season through him who gives us strength, right? We, we can do that, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, I can run faster. Yes, I can jump higher. Yes, I may be 5'9", but I can dunk a basketball through him who gives me strength. Don't laugh at old things, right? Y'all laughing. Why, right? But, but be honest, as a high school student, those were my thoughts. Maybe immature thoughts, but they were my thoughts. I believed in God, and I wanted him to be a part of every aspect of my life. So it didn't seem strange to me to think that God could even make me a better athlete. Now, let's also be honest. There are probably still many adults who look at that verse who would have similar thoughts just related to whatever their situation is, Right? Maybe it is, I can get a promotion through him who gives me strength. I can make a million dollars through him who gives me strength. I can, you just fill in the blank with many self-serving things. I say that because that philosophy is typically our approach to the, this verse. That is truly how I thought about it for a long time. But as time went on, I, I began to think, what does this verse really mean? I began to ask myself the question, can I really be stronger than a locomotive? Can I really leap a tall building in a single bound? Can I really be faster than a speeding bullet? In other words, can I be Superman through Christ who gives me strength? The obvious answer to that is, no, no, I cannot do everything just because I am a believer. If that was so, I would be able to play the guitar better than Luke. And you can tell him that when I get back, right? But I can't do it, right? Because just because I have Christ in my life, I just can't do anything that I want to name and anything that I want to claim. That is not the way it works. Now, as I thought about this verse and what it meant, it let me do a little digging. And as I dug, I learned an important lesson. The first lesson that changed my life from this verse, and the lesson is this, that you read Scripture in context. We ought to say a big amen to that, right? Uh, for to read Philippians 4.13 and to make all things that, that, that I was making it to say, I had to read that verse in isolation and fail to read it in context. Do you, did you know this? Did you know it's dangerous to read Scripture out of context? Did you know that? We see or hear this done all the time. For example, I hear people all the time quote Matthew 7, 1. I bet you know it, even if you don't know the reference, it goes like this, judge not that you be not judged, right? People use it all the time to say, we shouldn't judge people for anything. We should let people do whatever they want and not judge them. However, if you read it in context, you'll never get that impression because just a couple verses later, it says, you hypocrite, First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. In other words, in context, it's not saying we don't ever judge people's actions or then judge them as right or wrong. It is saying that we first look at ourselves before looking at someone else's action because to point out the faults or their faults without first dealing with your faults is hypocritical. You see, clearly in Scripture, we are to judge some actions as right and others wrong based upon God's Word. Now, then there is a verse like 1 Peter 2.24 that says, by his wounds you have been healed, which people then quote in regards to Jesus healing people physically. 
The problem is that using that verse to talk about physical healing is that you have to, again, read it out of context. Because if you read it in context, in either 1 Peter 2 or Isaiah 53, it is talking about Jesus dying for spiritual healing of people and has nothing to do with physical healing. Listen to it just in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All right, you get that? I, I share those examples to remind you that it is so important to understand Scripture in context. There are so many verses that I could share with you that people use out of context. They might sound good. They might fit their personal agenda, but it is dangerous to use Scripture out of context. You see, today, I am thankful for Philippians 4.13 in teaching me to read Scripture in context. It truly changed my life. It changed my view of Scripture in a positive way and it helped me understand the importance of studying all of Scripture and not just using Scripture like sound bites, all right? Sound bites are very dangerous, by the way, okay? Keep that in mind. Using a snippet without understanding the full context is not healthy for your life. And so that is the first way this verse changed my life, but this verse has meant so much more to me. To understand fully what this verse has meant to my life, guess what we're going to have to do? Read it in context. Thank you. All right, y'all, y'all, can't, y'all listening this morning. That's good. All right. So let's go back and let's read Philippians four thirteen. But now let's read it in context. I'm going to start back in verse ten. All right. The Apostle Paul writing here says this. He said, "I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, hearing these verses read in context, now what do you think is being spoken about in this text? Can you tell me? I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry and abundance and need. And right before that, he says, all right, not that I'm speaking of need, for I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content, all right? It should be clear the idea of this passage is contentment, all right? The writer, again, I said, is the the Apostle Paul. At the time of writing this letter, all right, he was in prison in Rome. He was writing to the believers in Philippi who had a great, where he had, had a great ministry and he developed a cr- close relationship with these believers. When they heard of Paul's imprisonment and his need, they sent provisions to Paul to help him. That's what he's addressing in verse 10. He was really thanking them for their help that, that he had received from them. Now, some may take what Paul said after that wrongly and take him as being ungrateful when he says, not that I am speaking about being in need, But he's not being ungrateful at all. Here's what Paul was trying to do. Paul was trying to help these believers mature in their faith. So he wanted them to understand where true satisfaction comes from. He was grateful for their help, but but even they needed to know that what Paul and they needed goes beyond just having physical needs met. Okay? He wanted them to make sure that even in their own lives that they understood where true contentment lies. Look at verse 11 again. 
He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul in this verse shows us that contentment is something you have to learn, all right? Contentment is something you have to learn. A, a key word in this verse 11 is I have learned. There's not a one of us, okay? There's not a one of us here today that's born naturally content, right? From the very beginning, we begin to make our needs. No, we cry because we want, right? Y'all with it, right? From the very beginning, we have wants. We're not content. We come in the world discontent. In fact, Jesus reminded us because one day a man came to Jesus and asked his brother, said, Jesus, tell my brother to divide my, our inheritance with me. You tell him to do that. And Jesus looked back at this man in Luke 12, 15 and said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he went on to tell the parable of the rich fool because here's what he knows. He knows the heart of man and knows that we all struggle with greed. It is the reality of our lives. The Apostle Paul understood this well also and shows our struggle in a letter he wrote to a man named Titus. As he is writing about how to live the Christian life, in the midst of his discussion, he mentioned the life that these Christians had lived before becoming believers. And he says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice. And what's that next word? Envy, hated by others and hating one another. You see, part of life before Christ, hear me, is passing your days in envy. Now, I don't think I really have to convince anyone here today that you struggle with being content, do you? Do I have to convince you? We all want just a little bit more, do we not? And we're saying that thinking that just a little bit more will satisfy. If a person gets a good paying job, guess what they want next? A raise right? If a, person gets a, 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 if a person gets a new car, here's what happens. It's not long before they believe someone else has a new car that's better. So quickly, what? They don't like the one they just bought and they want a new car, right? A person gets a house and then as they get that new house, they want to completely remodel that house because they want to make it better or they decided, you know, the house I want is not the one I want. I want to go and look for another one, all right? A person has plenty of clothes in their closet, but guess what they do? They go out and shop. They buy a new outfit. Why? Just because they want a new outfit. A person has a TV that works perfectly fine, but they want the newest model that's just come out, but because the picture quality is supposed to be just a little bit better, right? A person has four guitars, but there's another one to be had because that next one sounds just a little bit better. My son is, or my daughter-in-law is actually laughing right now on that one, all right? A person wants a new smartphone every two years because they then, by then, in two years, it's outdated, right? The one they have. I may not have hit it you yet, but I believe you get the picture. Every person in this room struggles with contentment. It is not something that comes naturally. That is why Paul said, I have learned to be content. Contentment is something that has to be acquired. Now, look at verse 12, because it builds on what's said in verse 11. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to bound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, if you look at the, this verse, the words that says, I have learned the secret, guess what? It is actually one word in the original Greek language, all right? It took us how many? One, two, three, four, five English words to say one Greek word. 
In that word, I don't know that I can say it correctly. I'm going to try this morning. The word is mimi-ime, all right? Did y'all get that? Y'all can go repeat that later, right? Most of you really don't care about that, but I mentioned that to say it was a technical word that, that meant an initiation. Now, we're familiar with initiations, right? It is a process of, or something that you do when you join an organization. It can be an initiation into your job or a club, for example. So here's what Paul was saying. In a way, he was initiated into contentment, all right? How? Here's how he was initiated there, through experiences. Think about what he said. He said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. He learned to face plenty and hunger, abundance and need. While Paul is saying that in life, he'd faced many experiences and that through them all, he had learned the secret to being content. Now, in just a moment, we're going to talk about that secret that he learned. But let's go ahead and confess that life is usually full of many different experiences. For me, I'm like Paul. I mean, I face plenty and I have faced need. I can tell you this, when I first went into ministry and my kids were young, there were many years, I'll be honest with you, that that amazed me when we got to the end of the year, that I had enough money to pay the bills and have our necessities met. We experienced many lean years and people have joked about me being so tight with money at times. They, They say I'm frugal, all right? Well, there's a reason because for many of the years of my life, if I wasn't frugal, we wouldn't have made it. We wouldn't have paid the bills. We wouldn't have put food on the table. Frugality was something that had to be a part of our life. Now, Kim and I would probably say at this point of our life, we've reached a different place in our finances. We're maybe, we're more of an abundance, all right? We don't have to worry about that so much, that our finances look different than they used to look. But here's the thing that Paul wants us to see, that whether you find yourself in a place where you feel like you are in need or whether you find yourself in a place where you have plenty, the secret to contentment is the same and life can teach you that. You see, when you don't have much, you're not content. And you think having more things, whatever those things are for you, will make you content, right? That's what you think. But when you find yourself having those things, guess what you find out? Those things did make you content, right? You really have to experience both sides for yourself to understand the truth. Paul had experienced both sides. At one time, he was in a high position as a Pharisee, and people looked up to him as a leader. Paul also experienced being thrown into jail by those who thought he was a criminal. Paul knew what it was like to have many people in his corner, and then he knew what it liked to be abandoned. Paul said he experienced need, and he experienced plenty, and through the combination of those experiences, he had learned the secret of being content. He, th- th- he learned this truth. Are you ready? That contentment is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13 again. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What Paul really wants us to understand is this, is that only Jesus can satisfy, and when you are walking with him, you can find contentment no matter what your situation is, because in him, you already have everything you need. In fact, the word through in this verse can be translated in or even in union with. I like that translation better because I believe it really gets to the core of what Paul wants us to know. It is being in a relationship with Jesus that brings contentment, not the accumulation of things. Paul, earlier in this letter to the believers, has made this powerful statement which helps give us light to what he is now saying. Reading this will show us even more importance of context because 
To understand what Paul says in Philippians 4, you really need to understand what he just said in Philippians 3, all right? In chapter 3, after recounting his personal achievements, which for many would have been their source of fulfillment and contentment, Paul said some insightful words, which I want to read from the New Living Translation. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. You see, Paul made it clear here that the only thing of real value to him is his relationship with Jesus Christ, which he gained through faith in Jesus. He said nothing counts in his life. Not even his own achievements don't count when it comes to realizing Christ. You see, after gaining a relationship with Jesus, Paul realized that all the stuff that he thought made him somebody was really nothing. It was all garbage. All the things that he thought would make him content really didn't. They were actually worthless because only a relationship with Jesus had infinite value. And so it was his relationship with Jesus that he now longed to have even more of. You see, Philippians 4.13 changed my life because, folks, hear me. When I understood it in context and I understood its meaning, it showed me that contentment would never be found in the things of this world, but it would only be found in Jesus Christ. You see, I understood that contentment would not be found if I could dunk a basketball or have a winning season. I realized that contentment wouldn't be found in a nicer home, a fancy car, a successful career, or an overflowing bank account. Philippians 4.13 taught me that nothing in this world would satisfy me, and when a person grasps that truth, it can radically change your life. You hear me? In fact, when you grasp the truth that contentment is found only in Jesus... You can truly face any circumstance with contentment. In fact, even think about what, first, what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, and 7. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. You see, the idea of being content fully in God is not a concept unique to Paul. Think about what the first line of probably the most famous and beloved psalm says. The 23rd psalm starts this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, all right? That verse is really saying this. This is what it's really saying. It's saying that when you know the Lord, you truly have all you need. Probably in part because when you walk with the shepherd, he provides for your real needs. But greater than that, a relationship with a good shepherd God is what really brings satisfaction. Do you hear me? It's just that relationship. It's like we just saying, I just want you. When you understand that, that's where it's really found. Because listen, if you know him, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. Listen to what it says in Habakkuk 3.17. Even though the fig, tree ha fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer able to tread upon the heights. 
You see, Habakkuk makes it clear that the contentment that the Lord brings is not based upon your circumstances, but simply in knowing the Lord who is your salvation and your strength. When you know the Lord fully, your circumstances can change, but you know what? That he is the same and your contentment remains. Here's why ultimately that is true. You ready? Everything in this world is temporary. And only God and the things of God are eternal. Therefore, the only true contentment that is found, it is in God, and it is a contentment, hear me, it is a contentment that will last through all of eternity. Praise the Lord, right? This last week, a valedictorian in Texas made the headlines at her graduation. I don't know if any of you all saw this. Being the valedictorian, she had an opportunity to share a few words to her fellow graduates and those attendants supporting those graduating. I I want you to listen to her speech because it's going to help us grasp the truth of what I want us to see today. So turn your attention to the screen as we watch this little clip together. Hi, y'all. It's a privilege to be standing here as valedictorian. Um, I want to congratulate our salutatorian and one of my best friends, Kaylee, and the rest of the top 10 on all of your hard work. Now I want to talk to you all about the most important person in my life, Jesus Christ, and how he has changed my life. Before I understood who Jesus is, my life was very confusing to me. On the one hand, I had some really good gifts. Academics and foreign languages came pretty easily to me. I had a great family and awesome friends. On the other hand, things were kind of confusing. The things that I was seeing and hearing in the world didn't make sense. I knew that I was very self-centered and I struggled to find happiness. But then I learned that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and therefore he is the true king of the human race. Where his rule and reign is allowed, humans thrive. Where he is not allowed to be king, there is brokenness and suffering. But I also learned that he loves me so much, all of us in fact, that he died on the cross in our place and three days later he rose again, paying the penalty for us not allowing him to be king in full. When I changed my mind and I made Jesus the king of my life, he completely changed me. I was filled with a peace and a joy that I had never experienced before. I no longer had a sense of dissatisfaction and restlessness about my life. I started to become measurably less and less self-centered and the things that I was seeing and hearing in the world started to make sense. In fact, even though winning this contest for valedictorian feels so awesome, it cannot compare to the joy that Jesus has brought into my life. What Jesus has done for me, he does for anyone that accepts him as their personal king. All you have to do is admit that you have not allowed him to be the king of your life. Believe that his death, burial, and resurrection completely pays the penalty for that decision and confess him as your savior and lord i encourage you all to make that decision today all right we can if stop you want the tip to know there. more 
I invite here, you to here, visit. Here's what I doubt. My doubt is that probably was not an approved speech. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next, I went on quick because the next thing she's inviting you to her church, and I want you to go to her church. I want y'all to stay here, right? <laughs> it's in Texas. You're not going there anyway. All right. But anyway, um, I, I loved it when she said this, right? She said that even though winning the process of becoming valedictorian felt awesome to her, it couldn't compare to the joy that Jesus had brought to her life. Isn't that exciting? That's a great statement, is it not? I also believe this. Had she not won the valedictorian contest, as she called it, the joy of Jesus would have still been there because when your contentment is found in Jesus, your circumstances do not change that contentment. You see, understood rightly, Philippians 4.13 can change your life too because the secret to being content is knowing that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. In fact, it's ultimately anointing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I hope some of you that verse differently today. And so here's what I want us to do in, as we prepare to move to our closing. First of all, I want us to do this. I, I want you to identify the things in your life that you are pursuing in order to find contentment. I want you to identify them, and here's what I want you to do. You ready? I want you to label them as idols. You got it? Think about your life. What today, what are you pursuing and saying, if I get this, I'm going to be content? Is it a job? Is it money? Is it prestige? Is it a degree? Is it a relationship? If you say, if I get this, I'm going to be content, what I want you to do, look at your life, okay, even including your family, and say, is there something that I say, if I have this, I'll find contentment. And what I want you to do is label it an idol. Because if you're looking for anything other than Jesus Christ to bring you contentment, that thing is an idol. And you may not want to label it, but that's what it is, all right? And I hope you understand something. Are you ready? God doesn't stand for idols in our life. So what I want you to do next is this. Once you've identified that, once you've labeled whatever it is, an idol, I want you to repent that you sought contentment in something other than God, all right? If you recognize something is idle, here's what I would hope. I would hope you'd want it out of your life. If you say, I've got this idol, I'd hope you say, I want it gone. And the way that you start to remove an idol is through repentance. Here's what repentance is. It's simply this, is that you're agreeing with God that it's an idol, that you confess to God that you have this idol, that, that you say, God, I know only you can satisfy. And then here's what you do. You turn. You turn from that idol and you turn to God and say, God, no longer am I going to look at that for my contentment. God, I'm looking solely at you. That's what repentant is. It's a change. It's a turn. Say, God, I'm going in your direction. All right. Then once you do this, seek after God and find your contentment solely in a relationship with him. Here's what I encourage you to do. Read your Bible to discover more about this God who loves you. Pray, having regular conversations with God where you speak to him, but hear me, but you also listen to, for his voice. Worship him with other believers seeking support and knowing God more. And then walk in that relationship knowing that God wants to walk with you through life. If you walk with God fully, you will find that a relationship with God is the only place to find contentment. And I have no doubt that if you walk with God, you will find contentment because the psalmist declares, listen to what the psalmist declared in 107.9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. That emptiness in your soul, God can feel it. Now I'm gonna close with this final word. 
If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that's where you need to start today. The three things I just shared are actions that Christians need if they're failing to find their contentment in Christ. But I realize here today that not every one of you have given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're like this valedictorian we heard a few moments ago. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you cannot make sense of the world around you. If that is the case, you, need, you have the same need that she had. You need to make Jesus the king of your life. You need to, by faith, make Jesus Christ your savior. Yes, Jesus is the son of God. Yes, Jesus offered up his life to be crucified on a cross to die in order to pay for your failure to make him king. And yes, Jesus rose three days later to prove who he was, to conquer death and the grave so that anyone who places his or her faith in Jesus and makes him the king of their life will be forgiven, given eternal life, and gain the Holy Spirit's presence that leads to life and the contentment spoken of today. If today you struggle with contentment, folks, I know it's possible through Jesus Christ. It is possible through the one who gives you strength. I want you to find Jesus today, and I want you to let him be the number one thing in your life. And believers, again, if he's not there, would you put him there today? Because I know the contentment can be found in this place. And I believe maybe many walk through that door discontent today. I hope you walk back through that door understanding you can be content in Christ. And why? Why? Why can you be content? Because you can do all things through him who gives you strength. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence today. And I am thankful for your word that changes our life when we understand it fully. I thank you, Father, that you are even willing to overlook the immaturity of this high school student who misused your verse, but Father still worked in my life and brought me to a place that I understand your word and you more fully. I thank you that you're a patient, loving God, a God who does desire for us to be content in you. And Father, maybe there are some here this morning who was like me at one point in time, maybe right now, they're, they're a place where they've misused scripture or misunderstood. And Father, they've still been looking for their contentment in things of this world. I pray today that for all of us, we would understand contentment is found in you and we'd look to you. So Lord, in this moment, as we have an invitation, if there's one who's never given their life to Jesus, I pray this would be the moment they would confess their sin, that they would come to you recognizing that Jesus died for them, and that today they would commit their life to you, understanding that you are the giver of eternal life, you are the forgiver of sin, you are our hope, you are our source of contentment, and they would look to you in this moment and truly, truly make you the king of their life pray that would happen in these moments. But I also pray for believers today, some who, again, they've, they've got the idols in their life, and they've not wanted to really name them, but it's true. And I pray even in these moments that if there's any idol that exists, we'll cast them aside and we'll turn back to you. So bless our invitation, Father. Move in hearts, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.